Got no reason. <laughs> I can't even get through the second part. I don't have a whole first verse written down. And I realize I've been thinking on this all day about, okay, John, you're going to do short people, but it's going to be cat people. But no, I'm not going to do the rest. Mm-hmm. I got They got big old paws and lots of fur. They got scary claws and they like to purr. Cat people. It's a parody song. Weird Al, call me. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't want no cat people on the pick. This is the pick, and we are your hosts, John Otney. Call it Westman. And my name is Giovanni Giorgio, but everybody calls me John Lemmy. Oh, I, I, for me, I thought you were going to just be in character the whole time. <laughs> it's tempting. That's Giorgio Maroder. <laughs> Uh, if you were something. Giorgio, then I could have pretended like I got Malcolm McDowell to appear on the podcast. Oh, yes. Hello, John. Love to talk about cat people. He's your best friend, after all. You could get he's him. He's my best friend, Malcolm McDowell. He's a dual threat, and that he's a great actor and also my friend. He's <laughs> the best kind of dual threat. Uh, and he was, and we, 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 he was in the movie we did last week. And he's in the movie that we're doing yeah, this week, the this 1982 Cat People. One year prior, right? Yeah, these are probably pretty close to each other. Because uh, I chose Blue Thunder because it was its 40th birthday this year. Yeah, not really any reason to pick this. I'm not. In, I was hoping after we watched it, I would be like, "Oh, okay, there we go. That's what's interesting about this movie." But I don't know. It's kind of. Uh, it feels pretty non-essential. No offense to cat people. <laughs> we'll get. We'll get into it. Um, well, I'll try to get into it because it's, it, you know, it's funny when we watch a movie and then we wait so long to record it that it feels like it was a, like a dream yeah. <laughs> or like a fading memory. Because yeah. uh, I, I, I decided to, and, and we'll see if I stick to that, opt out of going plot beat by plot beat because I just don't remember the movie well enough to do yeah. that. So I just kind of have a bunch of random thoughts and... And we're gonna see how that goes. Yeah, but first, first we got to do our little picks. Um, and my little pick is yeah. actually inspired by a picture that I saw on Instagram. I'm gonna send this to you guys because you really got to see this to enjoy it. Here, I'm, I'm pulling it up. I love pictures. Uh, let's see. In a podcast, it's the best. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, it's great for the. Well, I can describe it. I think the the, the fans will enjoy that. As I, as I kind of just very slowly part. go through all the pictures on my phone, I'm still waiting for it. Hey, I'm it's sure. almost it's almost here. <laughs> all right, okay, now I said it. <laughs> okay, so I saw this picture uh, for for anyone who can't see because no one can see. <laughs> this is a picture of uh, Malcolm McDowell from a week ago at Fright Fest in London, and there's a man holding up a. Uh, poster of a clockwork orange uh, where uh, Alex DeLarge has a giant schlong. <laughs> yeah. And Malcolm McDowell has signed the schlong and he's smirking. He seems to get a kick at it. This, is, of course, is a poster by Deadly Prey Gallery, who I wanted to give a shout out to. I can't remember if I've ever mentioned them on a podcast, but this is a, a company based out of Chicago. 
that works with artists in Ghana to create these really ridiculous over-the-top movie posters. Um, I have a few myself. I have uh, one of Get Out. It's really fantastic. Um, I gifted Sean the Godfather one. Godfather. Uh, and the story cat. behind this, if you don't know about uh, about all this, back in the 80s, they used to have these, um, this is kind of like the rise of VHS. They used to have these vans that would drive through towns in Ghana, um, and they'd do like these movie nights, and then local artists would promote them by by doing these really crazy posters to kind of draw people into the events. And they were always like super violent, and then like martial arts movies really popular, so they'd usually have someone doing martial arts on them. Or just, like, explosions and guns and knives everywhere. And that was just this weird thing in the 80s. And then, like, uh, a handful of years ago, I'm not exactly sure when... <laughs> okay, we just got a great Curb Your Enthusiasm one, which appears to... Is that Junior from The Sopranos? <laughs> and clearly Bernie <laughs> and, Sanders. And Bernie Sanders. Um, yeah, so they work directly with artists from Ghana to, to create movie and TV show posters that are super ridiculous... And what I, what I like about this company is that um, though they're based out of Chicago, they work with actual uh, Ghanaian artists, and 100% of the profits of the prints go to the artists. They have at least 10 or 11 guys that they work directly with, who some of them just, they just what they make their living off of making these insane-looking things. <laughs> I've always wondered, and I'm not sure to this day, uh, whether or not, like, how self-aware they're supposed to be. I think now they all the artists must know. They have the internet. Back in the 80s, maybe it was more of, like, I don't know what this is, just make it up. <laughs> I, I think now it's more of paying homage to what the posters used to be like. Um, but, no, it's really cool, and it's really funny that they make these and that they support these artists. Um, actually, one of their artists passed away recently, and they've been uh, raising a bunch of donations for his family because he was, like, their the sole breadwinner for his family, making stuff like this. Uh, so it's a good cause, despite the fact that it's like in, literally the most insane thing you've ever seen with some of these. I, You know, you got to look them up to, to see what I'm talking about. It's Deadly Prey Gallery. Um, yeah. I just, I really got a, a, a kick out of seeing Malcolm McDowell posing <laughs> next to it and seeming being okay with it. So uh, had to give him a shout out. Check him out, you know. Gift one to a friend. <laughs> Maybe they'll like it. If you had to get me one, what one would you get me? Mm. That's an awesome question. I'd have to think about that. I'd have to, I'd have to go through. Shaun the Godfather. When I went, when I got, when I got Sean the Godfather, I basically got Sean the Godfather because it had, it was, it was something he, I feel like he could put on his wall that wouldn't be too embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like, have I gotten from the Clockwork Orange one? <laughs> like, it's it's one yeah. of their less intense ones. You know, Sean's, Sean's got a cat. It's got a big funny cat on it. I thought that was fun. Great scene. Yeah. I Great think scene. there was a Fast and Furious one, but I feel like it was either too bad or gross or disgusting or there's something off about it. Otherwise, may I would have got that. May I propose this one for Colin? Okay. What do we got? Oh, man. Okay, so we got Stop Making Sense. Uh, we got David Byrne in his big suit. There's cockroaches crawling up it. A lot of skeletons. A lot of skeletons. Uh, it's like they're in a playing graveyard. in a graveyard. Yeah, there's some serpents here and there. Bats. Uh, looks like a great show. 
I do like this a lot. There's some rock and roll ones. Yeah, I probably I'd have to look through them again because they update these all the time. Like even mm. last time I've looked at them, I'm sure there's at least a dozen, or if not more, new ones. So uh, there are yeah. 46 pages of posters on their website. <laughs> uh, eight of the eight eight per page, so that means what 350 plus yeah. Yeah. posters. Right. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, dude. No, I, I wonder if they could. I'd love to have the Conan one too. I don't think that was that was on that sh- on Conan Without Borders. I don't think that was related to this company but that's a great one but yeah i i, mean, I think it's cool that they uh, they have the the artist signature pretty front and center on these and you know that's the artwork isn't bad it's like ridiculous but like i don't know it looks like alice cooper to me <laughs> i like it so uh, yeah check them out deadly prey gallery uh you're gonna have a lot of fun with it they're good friends of ours my little pick is Star Wars Ahsoka, which is, oh man, so hard to get into. Um, <laughs> when Disney bought Star Wars and Lucasfilm and everything that George Lucas ever worked on in his life, um, one of the first and most controversial moves they made was declaring... A very, very small set of existing Star Wars media as the canon. And they called everything else Legends. And at the time, I thought that was a great move. Because what it meant to me was that they could free up all this creative space for the new generation of Star Wars writers to... um, to have the most creative freedom to tell uh, the, the, the next Star Wars story. Uh, but I was wrong. What it really was, <laughs> was Disney saying, it doesn't matter what Star Wars things you already own. We want to make our own Star Wars things for you to buy. And uh, so they immediately flooded the market with their own books and comics. Um and, and, and movies eventually um, that make up their this new canon and uh, created a uh, overwhelming situation where now I think there are very very few people that have a complete understanding of what Star Wars canon is um, I would not even count myself as one of those people anymore because I know there's a, a great deal of uh, written context post Return of the Jedi that I just don't have. And um, Ahsoka represents um, this inaccessibility really coming to the forefront of the actual filmed Star Wars media. Because I think there's always been an implication that you will be fine if you just watch the live action movies, right? That's sort of been, like, to me, that's been, like, the baseline of, of enjoying Star Wars. Is, yeah, you can watch all the movies and it's its own story. And you don't have to watch the Clone Wars movie. And you don't have to watch the Clone Wars TV show. And you don't have to watch Rebels and The Bad Batch and whatever other 
I think there was like a an animated Poe Dameron show at some point that I can't even remember what it's called. Um, but of course they've done this thing after the Skywalker saga ended in 2019, uh, where they're putting out these mini series on Disney Plus, and they're all over the place. And um, while it seemed like they were building a certain continuity between um, Boba Fett and the Mandalorian in this early post-Return of the Jedi era, era, with Ahsoka, they've gone and said, no, to enjoy this show, you have to have watched The Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Rebels... And the Clone Wars cartoon. And if you don't have all of that, there's just going to be things in this show that you don't get. And I, on one hand, it is it is fun for me because I have seen all those things. But on the other hand, I don't... I just don't think this is going to work for regular people who aren't knee-deep in this shit. Because the big moments in this show are largely only big because of context I have that you're not going to have as someone watching the show. Mm-hmm. It's really a weird thing. Um, and I don't mean it as a knock against anyone who worked on it. I think Rosario Dawson's giving a fun performance as Ahsoka. Um the show looks great. It's a great soundtrack. Really cool special effects. Uh, it's got a bunch of fun lightsaber fights and spaceship battles, which I feel like is something that's often missing in new Star Wars. Um, they actually have some really cool like spaceship flying around scenes, which I, I missed and I loved seeing. And um, compared to the, the season of The Mandalorian that came out this year, uh, I think I enjoyed Ahsoka more. Although, although of course... Andor from last year is so much better <laughs> than everything else. Um, this is not close to in league with with Andor. Um, but yeah, if if I I've been not telling you the plot synopsis of the show because if if I say Sabine and Ahsoka team up with Hera to go look for Ezra and Thrawn in another galaxy. That that means nothing <laughs> to you, right? I know some Pretty of much. I feel like you and Matt talk about Thrawn a lot, and I'm like, okay, Thrawn's I mean, a thing. I don't know who Thrawn is, but you guys have your fun talking about Thrawn. Thrawn is so interesting because um, he is a character who's from this now Legends canon, right? Like, not... Not not canon anymore, but legends. These books, uh, or bo- I think it's a book, but maybe it was part of a series called Heir to the Empire, where he mm-hmm. was like gonna revive the empire, and he was introduced in Rebels as a admiral in the empire. This is pre A New Hope time, who is then taken to another galaxy with a with a young Jedi. Um, and now in Ahsoka is sort of serving that same purpose that he was implied to have, or that he did have in the in the non-canon, which is he's he's kind of come back to 
the galaxy and and restart the empire which is also extra weird because we know the first order will eventually be what happens so i don't <laughs> i don't know where this is going um and and i and i genuinely don't know where this is going because the show does end on a cliffhanger and um you know they've said that dave filoni the the guy who is the creator of um a bunch of these shows like clone wars and rebels and also ahsoka and also uh wrote a bunch of mandalorian and boba fett as well um they said that he's getting a movie they have not officially said if there's going to be a second season of this show um and as far as the like they keep announcing movies and then not making them so i'm not even like sure what's going to happen it's just a really really weird time for star wars where it's like it's like good but it's inaccessible it's uh you can get caught up in it but you're not even sure if you should because who knows what the next step will be it's 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 kind of frustrating and so you you got to just kind of go with the ride i guess and and especially if you've not watched the other shows you've got to extremely just be like yeah all right this is happening there's a magic wolf here and oh there's a magic owl as well Ooh, there's mythical statues <laughs> like i there's i don't know how to feel about it anymore guys I'm, I'm lost in the woods i i i guess i like it but i i don't think i would have the confidence to tell a single person on earth that they should watch it if they don't already want to <laughs> but it's your little pick but it's my little pick because I feel like Sean doesn't always pick things that he necessarily loves. It's a lot of times they are things he just wants to talk about because uh, he's got he's got feelings. I got and it's, and it's like I genuinely like it comes out um, Wednesday at midnight Eastern time, so it's been coming out like early in the evening for me relatively, mm-hmm. and so I've been watching them Tuesday nights. Like it's it's like one of the few shows that I've been like watching as soon as it comes out uh in part because i know i'll see spoilers if i don't there, and I, there's something there that's like this is cool and i like it but also i'm not sure like like the, the premise of the show ahsoka is anakin skywalker's jedi apprentice from the clone wars era which is something that you, if you've only seen the movies, which is nine movies, that's a big commitment of time already. Nine movies is a lot of movies. If you've only seen those, you've seen no reference to even the possibility that she could have existed. And now here's a show that's saying she's one of the most important people that ever existed in the galaxy. It's really weird. And that is my conclusion. (laughs) Um, so my little pick is going to be an album I bought, um, oh, it's been a while since I bought this. It's been a while. (laughs) It was like two months ago. I was just thinking I bought it when I was in Seattle. Uh, stopped by my old haunt, uh, Easy Street Records, picked up some albums on vinyl and, um, of the batch of albums I bought. I guess the one I've listened to the most is uh, Niklo's debut album, Jesus of Cool. However, yeah, I did not buy that album. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> I bought the American version of Jesus of Cool, which has like a different track order and some other songs thrown in <sighs> and sucks. was uh, was retitled Pure Pop for Now People, <laughs> which is also a good title. Uh, I assume they had to change it because America's, you know, we love Jesus so much. <laughs> Can't handle any blasphemous Jesus titles, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, still. Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of like, you don't want to, that's like the Beatles were saying they're bigger than Jesus, right? If you're bigger than Jesus, Jesus yeah. So if an English rocker is releasing their debut album in America, you, you want to stay away from that. The Beatles set a precedent. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know. The Brits have learned from it. Uh, but still, really great album. I mean, pure pop for now, people. Like, it, it, it describes the album well still. It's just like a great power pop album. Um, I, I've always wanted to listen to Nick Lowe just because he produced a lot of the early Elvis Costello albums. And uh, Elvis Costello is one of my favorites. Um, and it, it, this album is definitely kind of in that same vein as the first couple um, albums that Elvis did with the attractions. Um, just that very like punchy, catchy, like sort of in between what was going on in punk and what would happen with New Wave, um, but also kind of formed by the pub rock scene, which I feel like is a UK subgenre that kind of came and went in between glam and punk that just like never made an impact in America, but it's definitely like also where Elvis Costello like came out of playing in pub rock bands. And Nick Lowe had played in a a pub rock band called rock pile, who I guess they like added one or two rock pile songs to the, uh, this American release. Um, One of which is a song that was like a novelty song about the Bay City Rollers <laughs> that's like kind of mocking them. <laughs> and kind of the interesting thing about the album is it is sort of like a, a satire of the music industry in a lot of ways, which is an interesting uh, slant for a debut album when, um, <laughs> you know, it's not like Nick Lowe had been through the ringer of the music industry, but maybe he had since seemed like his band had a hard time even releasing one album. I think their only album, Rockpile, uh, came out like after Niklo's solo career had taken off. Um, so yeah, lots of good tracks. I, I've had the, the lead-off track, uh, So It Goes, stuck in my head for the past month or two. Uh, just a really catchy song that was also featured in Rock and Roll High School. A the pick uh-huh. favorite, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'd like to check out some more Nick Lowe, especially at least the album he did after this, because it had his his big hit "Cruel to Be Kind" on it. So there you go. Sure did. Speaking of rock and roll, high school. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering, Alan Arkish did see Bottoms last week. Mm-hmm. And good. Uh, he wrote, uh, as one who knows, I heartily recommend this high school movie. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. Yeah. You know, I also wrote a good review. Io Edibiri's dad. 
Really? <laughs> he was on Letterboxd, <laughs> and he logged it. That's fun. Yeah. Five stars. A Wow. A perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> does Does the movie we're talking about today deserve a perfect score? I don't think so. Really I think we all gave it three, three out of five. Yeah. And uh, we'll get in. We're getting into it. This is it. We're getting into it. Cat people. Um, Colin, are you a cat person? <laughs> I know Sean is. Um, yes. Okay. I like dogs too, but um, if I had to choose between the two, I guess I would choose cats. Okay, just just wanted to, just I was just genuinely curious. I didn't have that. That wasn't like I got a segue into something else. I just wanted to know. Yeah, I mean, I also um, have the personality of a cat, right. so I am a right. cat person in that regard as well. Because yeah. you guys know I'm a dog person. Yeah. Ooh, they should make dog people. Dog people. Iggy Pop Iggy. is dog people. <laughs> Hey man, where can I get some kibble? Now I wanna be your dog. <laughs> I feel like I'm describing a movie what? that could have existed. So yeah. the thing yeah. about the cat people is yeah. that they're horny. What mm-hmm. is the equivalent for a dog person? They're dirty. <laughs> they're dirty. They gotta get dirty. Oh, I feel like that's a pig thing, though. <laughs> um. Um, no. I, I don't know. Aggressive. They, they like need affection. Yeah, yeah, they need affection. They just need a. They just need a hug or something. <laughs> hug so maybe it's them. not. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, I didn't. I I wasn't planning about talking about dog people, right? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I guess dog people is just like that's just like a werewolf. You know, I was actually kind of disappointed that, and I guess this is just going off of the original movie too, that the cat people aren't like, you you get to see a little bit of the in-between stage, but they're not like were cats, you know? They're just like panthers. Or I guess, uh, no, not, well, they are panthers, but they're specifically leopards. I, I didn't realize that panther is just like, can describe any kind of big cat. I thought yeah, I read dude. that. I mean, that, I, that blew my mind. I just assumed yeah. Panthers. They're the black ones. But no, not necessarily. No. I mean, they can be, but that, that could be lots of things. Yeah, it could be true. a cougar. It could be a leopard. Uh, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought the same thing when I saw the poster for yeah. Cat People, because it does look like um, Nastasha Kinski is, is like half cat, because she's like painted and in the rain, and she's got like cat eyes. But it turns out she's just she just looks like that. <laughs> she just looks like that. Uh, this is of course based off the OG RKO picture from 1942, which I did rewatch uh, for the. I've seen it a lot. I've seen it multiple times in school. I don't know why they need to teach us about cat people so much. I mean, it's a very it's a it's a very well made technical from a technical standpoint. Uh, it's got kind of spooky noir lighting you know it's got the famous uh the bus scare and some creepy shadow work it's, and it's still a pretty effective movie it's like a tidy little universal style 
obviously it's not Universal, but Universal style horror movie. Kind of, it kind of feels a lot like those '30s Universal movies. So is it still about a person that turns or people that turn into big cats? Yeah, it's about a guy who falls in love with a mysterious foreign woman who has the problem that she keeps turning into a cat person, and it's a problem. <laughs> um, is it still a sex-based power, or is that unique? I don't to think person? so. I, th- I feel like it's just ra- it's more like a werewolf thing. I, I don't remember if there's anything that triggers it. I feel like it just happens. Um. Because even though I rewatched it, I st- I did rewatch it last week. So. <laughs> I was gonna watch Return. I Maybe Return you rewatched it so many times because you retain none of the information. I re- I always remember the bus scare and the zoo scenes <laughs> and the pool scene, which they do recreate. Uh, yeah, I've seen cool. it once, and I I can't remember that well, but I do remember enjoying it. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen a lot of those. I should see more of those Val Luton produced RKO horror movies because there's a whole slew of ones from the 40s that are, are pretty well liked cat people i think is the most popular of them but like uh mm-hmm. i walked with a zombie and isle of the dead like I, I guess val luton would just be like come up with a title and it's like okay now somebody come up with what this is <laughs> cat people you come up with what it is but like usually they came up with like pretty good ideas like those movies mm-hmm. are pretty uh well liked um, yeah. So much so. Well, so, so basically, what happened here with this '80s one is there's some asshole, I don't know, some producer, who saw that the the rights were available for some of these RKO Pictures movies, because uh, that they, I don't remember, they must have folded at some point, because obviously, not like RKO still producing movies. They did. I mean, I was actually like curious how this was billed as an RKO production because yeah. I just got done reading a book about Howard Hughes oh, and okay. um, in the later days of RKO Howard Hughes like took over his head of RKO and basically like kind of tanked the studio <laughs> and then it folded after he ran it in like the mid to late 50s but then I guess it kind of like stuck around enough that they like produced a few movies in the early 80s that were distributed by other bigger studios. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I thought that was strange. That is strange. <laughs> that, that the zombie version of RKO sort of existed in the early 80s. What book is that? That sounds interesting. Uh, Seduction. It's written by Karina Longworth, who who does the uh, oh. You Must Remember I This know podcast. Her. Yeah, of course. Yep. Um, but yeah, so a bunch of this RKO IP was up for sale, and uh, some producer uh, bought Cat People and sold it to Universal. And there's actually plans to like, oh, let's pick up a bunch of these, and then, you know, we can just remake a bunch of these old movies. Because that's easier. But then, like, Cat People did bad. Another, the other one they did was The the Thing from Another World, which, of course, got remade as The Thing. Also a huge bomb because it came out at the worst possible time a movie could ever come out. <laughs> uh, right next to E.T. Uh, so then they just scrapped it. So we're never going to get that. Or at least, I mean, maybe we could now, but, like, they didn't make I, a remake of I Walked to the Zombie or Isle of the Dead. Or I was looking at some other RKO movies. There's one called The Gay Divorcee. That sounds fun. Not getting a remake of it though, because the other ones did too bad. I don't. I don't think that one's horror though, so I don't know why I brought it up. It doesn't sound like it. Does it? Well, maybe is, it is. Isn't that a musical? Oh, I don't know. I was just looking at a list of RKO movies. I actually just. I actually searched um, RKO horror movies, and this was on the list. So I, I think got accident. Yeah, I think that's like a. Yeah, it is. It's a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie. 
Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't know what part of that's scary. It's prob- probably an accident. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they saw this to Universal. Um, so it was never anyone's like passion to make this movie, really. It was just like so they, they owned it, and they're like, let's make it. They offered it to Roger uh, Vadim, who I thought was, that was very odd. He's the director of Barbarella and uh, and, and God Created Woman, which I did for a Criterion Month, uh, uh, Richard Bardot mm-hmm. movie. So kind of like uh, sexy type movies. Um, but I didn't even, I would have guessed he was like dead at this point. I didn't even know he's still alive, <laughs> let alone making movies. But I guess he was, but he uh, he added some notes, but he he did eventually pass on it. The, his note, uh, which is interesting, is he said that they should add a, a male character to the movie who has the same problem of turning into a cat person because he thought that would make it feel less sexist, you know, instead of being a movie about destroying a woman. Uh, so interesting note, I guess, you know, Roger Vadim. Wait, I, 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 yeah. This is a movie about destroying a woman? The original is only, well, there's only the female cat person. I don't know. I just think that's a weird way to put it. It's a movie about destroying a woman. His his words, not mine. <laughs> his words, not mine. Um, so yeah, he passed on it, and uh, there's a handful of people that that gave a crack at this at this script. First off, which I found was interesting, was Bob Clark, who uh, you know, Black Christmas, Christmas Story, Porky's, Baby Geniuses. You know, the Mount Rushmore of movies. <laughs> Everything you need to know about movies is in those four movies. Mm. <laughs> They're all shown in film school. They're all shown in film school. People. The Bob Clark unit. Mm-hmm. All, all equally great. Um, I've seen three of the four of those. I haven't seen Porky's yet. <laughs> it's got Kim Cattrall, right? It's probably probably, probably good watch, maybe. I don't know. Uh, not sure. But, uh, yeah, he gave a crack at it, and then it, it ended up being uh, eventually written by Bob Clark's buddy, Alan Ormsby. They, they actually um, started their careers together in Canada. They did uh, a movie called Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Alan Ormsby wrote that. I think he acted in it, too. And uh, they did the movie Death Dream, and Alan Ormsby wrote that as well. Um, also, before this, he wrote the movie My Bodyguard, which is a movie I like, which I feel like oh, is yeah. underrated. It's basically Drillbit Taylor, but f- like 40 years before and, and good, <laughs> where uh, Chris Makepeace gets uh, a bully to protect him from another bully. And I believe the bully is Adam Adam Baldwin to protect him from Matt Dillon. It, it's weird to see Adam Baldwin tower over Matt Dillon in a movie. It's just weird when you see shit like that. Uh, but yeah, that's a good, they're mostly good movies. Alan Ormsby, solid screenwriter, uh, you know, despite the fact that he mostly worked in a schlocky schlocky subgenre oh he also this is hilarious i don't know but a man of many talents he created a toy a fa- like a, a, a kind of cult popular toy from the 70s called and you should look this up hugo man of 1000 faces it's basically faces. it's basically mr potato head but like super realistic and I, I was looking up this Hugo Man of a Thousand Faces toy that Alan Ormsby created. Oh, no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't have it up right now. I'm going to bring it up myself. I think if you want to get it's one of these, creepy. it's pretty expensive now. But I think it was like a m- modestly popular toy. Yeah, it's basically like a really creepy. It kind of looks like um, who is the referee on Slurry Deathmatch? <laughs> looks like that guy. No, Judge Mills Lane. It looks like Judge Mills Lane. 
but it's only the top half of his body, and you can give him like glasses or an awesome powers wig or just all, all sorts of crazy accessories. But it's really scary, uh, really cool. <laughs> Why does it have the tiny arms? I don't it know. It could have been so much better without the tiny arms. I guess in relation to the head, uh, yeah, they're a little small. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Alan Ormsby, uh, still alive, man of a, a thousand talents, apparently. Oh, my God. Uh, so he ended up writing the script, um, but I believe there were numerous uncredited rewrites by the film's director, Paul Schrader, uh, who I've been watching a lot of his movies this year because he's mentioned quite a bit in... Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation, which I read this year. And uh, I've, I've been really enjoying going through these Paul Schrader movies. It's in, it's interesting now that I'm I'm into the more of the movies he directed, where I, earlier I you know, was just watching the movies he wrote. Even though mm-hmm. the ones he wrote, I feel like, are similar to the ones he directed. He has this very kind of muted, creepy, loner-type style. <laughs> I don't know if that... Well, he didn't write this one. I think this, was, this must have been the first movie he directed that he didn't write. But it still, like, tonally feels like, um, you know, some of his other stuff. Uh, but it is weird that he directed this because, uh, like, uh, you know, this is the first movie he directed that he didn't write. I guess they just thought, let's get that perv guy to do this. Because, <laughs> like, he <laughs> had done after, hardcore. Uh, this was after American Gigolo. Yeah, American Gigolo. Right. Just a Which year was, like, after. kind of a hit movie. Yeah, it was. Also had Georgia Moroder soundtrack. Yeah, I kind of feel like maybe only, like the only one of his movies is kind of a decent success, right? Yeah, I was looking him up earlier. I can't think of any others that you could consider a hit. It's so funny that he wrote so many for Scorsese that were so memorable, you know? Yeah. But but then when it came to his stuff... <laughs> I was watching this and thinking, like, it's wild that he did Kirk get to direct as many like studio films as he did because he didn't <laughs> i don't know he has such like an outsider vibe to his his writing and his directing i just um, it's i don't know how he always end up directing the weirdest stuff like a mission like and obviously mishima that's not like a mainstream kind of thing to like project to approach or like he did like yeah. a rock musical movie with michael j fox or something. I'm not really <laughs> familiar with that movie. Something he did in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. It's like all the stuff that were like, this is like a bona fide hit. He's like, yeah, but I'm just writing. I'm not directing. I'm going to direct the weird shit. <laughs> um, I did find a quote about him talking about wanting to do this movie, though. So I'll read this quote real quick. Um, from, from around the time, I guess, he made it. Uh, Previously, I've made films about daydreams. This is my first film about nightmares. It's about what goes on when the lights go out. The unconscious world inhabited by erotic fantasies and what Cocteau, that's the uh, Jean Cocteau, calls the sacred monsters. Uh, When you're dealing with the fantastic, you need a place where people would accept it if the myth New Orleans where this film is set is one of those towns where you think almost anything can happen and probably has. Whoa. He says, and it can... he also said contains more skin than blood. Yeah. Yeah. We... Uh. <laughs> is that right? That's, I guess that's interesting to think about. Taxi driver is like a daydream. I guess that is like Travis Bickle's daydreams. <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting way to, to, that he self analyzes his own career. Uh, but yeah, he directed this. Um, obviously we got the soundtrack by Giorgio Moroder. Sean, I want to ask you if you like this soundtrack, because I remember uh, when we talked once about Sorcerer, 
and you said you didn't like Tangerine Dream soundtracks. So I was like, does Sean not like synthy soundtracks? Or I don't know. What's what's your take on the soundtrack to this movie? Um, I thought. Well, obviously, the stuff with David Bowie. There's two songs with David Bowie that really stands out to me. Um, I really like the opening sequence with the myth, which is as him humming. But it's a very mysterious opening to this movie where you see these weird scenes in, uh, like, presumably some sort of prehistoric human civilization where people are sacrificed to panthers. Um that was cool and then for me for a lot of the movie the score i just don't even notice it <laughs> i mean i, I uh, feel like it's like it's like vibes it's like just yeah. mood music yeah it's just it's just yeah it's just giving it i mean this in like a complimentary way but it made me think about in forgetting sarah marshall when jason siegel says like i don't make music i make tones right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, it kind of picks, picks, picks up. Or it'll there'll be like a reprise of like the main theme, integrated in a different mm-hmm. way. And I love that when people uh, repurpose the theme. Uh, sometimes too much. I actually watched American Gigolo this year, and of course, Call Me is featured heavily in that movie, and it's rearranged like fifty times. <laughs> and it's cool, but it's like, okay, I get it. It's a good song. We don't need to hear it for like the fifth time. Uh, but I like Marauder. Call me like Marauder. Oh sure, I don't know that I'm that familiar with his stuff. Um, I like the I like the stuff he did with Donna Summer. That's cool. I mean, I, I like really only know that, and the, yeah, some of the soundtracks I've heard. Otherwise, I find him kind of difficult to navigate. Yeah, because uh, he's been he's been making music since the late '60s. I was like, I actually checked out some of his like fr- like his first album. It's like bubblegum pop. It doesn't sound anything like his later stuff. So <laughs> he went through a real evolution uh, to reach the sounds of the future. <laughs> and then, hey man, that David Bowie song, what a banger! I thought it was funny, mm-hmm. and I think I know now why this is that. Uh, you know, as I, I put this movie on. And this the song has when you look on Wikipedia it has a name. What it's like cat people I can't remember in parentheses putting out the fire. Putting out the fire. But when you're watching the movie at the at the opening credits it just says theme from cat people by David Bowie. <laughs> and I think the reason is um after they did this movie he wanted to put that song on one of his albums but they wouldn't let him use the version that was from the movie. So he had to like re-record it. So maybe when it got re-recorded is when the name changed. Uh, that's so stupid that the movie that they were like, you can't use your song. We need it for our soundtrack, I guess. Like, come on, for their bomb of a movie. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit? If you, I don't know. It's just lame. Uh, but obviously, he was proud of it, and he should be Golden Globe nominated, and for whatever reason, featured in Inglorious Bastards. I guess that's kind of the yeah. thing that's remembered best about this movie is the theme song. I feel like I heard Tarantino talking in an interview about it where he, he basically said, like, Paul Schrader had this great song and he wasted it. Like, he wasted <laughs> it. Ouch. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I wanted to use it better than he did. I was going to talk about uh, the castle, but I feel like I should just get into, is this movie boring? <laughs> no. Okay. Not for me. Okay. I don't 
don't think so. I mean, yeah. It's slow. I wasn't bored. Well, here's, here's, here's why I asked that. So, mm-hmm. um, I'll, on the weekends, Autumn and I will like, we'll put on a movie and we'll like do an edible. And usually I like to like get something that has like, that's kind of fun. That has like a weird or silly vibe. And sometimes yeah. there's just certain movies that just aren't quite matching what we're looking for. And this didn't quite get there. We actually uh, turned it off after a half hour, but not just because of that, also because our dog Olive would not stop barking every time a cat showed up. And I was like, I was like, this is going to be a problem because this is going to happen a lot. So I had to watch it. Um, I rent it from Amazon. I watched the rest of the next day, but like, it was a little too muted. I think it's it's like a very it's I wouldn't say it's slow, but it's deliberate. It it, it takes its time. Uh, Simmers. Now, yeah, it, it, that's a perfect word for it. It simmers. <laughs> yeah, Sean, you were pretty quick to say, no, it's not boring, which I'm glad to hear. No, John Hurd is boring. But John Hurd. <laughs> oh, John. Did you guys think going into this, just looking at the cast, that Malcolm McDowell was going to be the protagonist of this movie? I, I did. I think so. But I don't. He always plays a villain, though. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much it's, now that yeah, that's a good never, point. He's never like a a, <laughs> a morally good lead <laughs> in a movie. He's always yeah. up to something. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. I because I, I saw John Hurd's name third build, and I just figured, oh well, he's probably just like some guy. She's she's gonna kill. This is a, before I knew what the movie's really about. That she's just yeah. going to kill early on in the movie. Yeah. That's what I assume. I did not think he would be the hero of the film, which was very odd because it's not the kind of role I'm used to seeing him in. Uh, and that's the, I think yeah. that's the problem. And it's not I, – I don't want to put it all on him. It's, yeah. it's the writing too. But when when the like the like this movie is meant to be sexy and you have <laughs> – Nastasha Kinski, who's like incredibly sexy, oh, and yeah. Malcolm McDowell, who, uh, you know, he's 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 got his own distinct. Ed- I mean, this is Caligula, right? This guy, he's a sexy guy in a very different yeah, way. He's, than he's she a is. sex freak. He's he, yeah, he's a, she's sexy and he's a sex freak. So we've got the two polar opposites of of the sexy spectrum, but still two extremely sexy people. Just in their own ways. And then you've got John Hurd, who's just like, I work with animals. I'm a good dude. (laughs) And like he's he's got a little bit of an edge to him because he's got like a on-again, off-again romance with his co-worker. And he's just like ignoring her in favor of this new sexy lady. So there's like a little bit of an edge there. But they needed this part to be like also extremely sexy for this movie to work. And it just was not. Uh well then well then Sean you're gonna be pretty disappointed when I tell you who all was almost cast it was almost uh, William Hurt are you serious he was considered I don't know uh, how close he was because this was before uh, this was this the same year before this was close to Altered States which was kind of his breakout movie role mm, wow that so, so it could have been this in my letterbox review I wrote basically William Hurt should have played this part that's well, crazy that's... I had no idea that that's true. <laughs> Also, something else that's funny. He wasn't considered, but there's a funny little anecdote. So, uh, when the, the the UK when they announced this movie, uh, the UK press accidentally had had reported that this movie starred John Hurt, 
Yeah. From Alien. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And apparently that th- this when this happened, John Hurt was uh, was on a trip. He was, um, you know, okay. Now, th- so John Hurt must have been established earlier because I'm seeing here that John Hurt was uh, denied entry into South Africa once because they thought he was John Hurt, who was very anti-apartheid. I, I-, I guess he was well known for that. Even I didn't even think he was a well-known actor, but so he was yeah. confused for him, and it screwed over John Hurt on his trip to South Africa. Um, and then and then the fact that William Hurt was considered for this, I just think it's funny that everyone with this similar last name yeah. somehow connected. I mean, this movie feels kind of similar to Altered States, like you know, yeah, people transforming into animals, <laughs> a lot of scenes at a zoo. Just general weirdness. Yeah, you know, you know I just watched. Um, <laughs> I just watched Ken Russell's uh, The Devils, which was very weird. And I'm like, I think cat people could have used a little bit of a little bit more weirdness. I think I think Schrader's yeah. a little too grounded to do something this supernatural because <laughs> he hasn't. I mean, I haven't seen his Exorcist movie yet, which I am going to review for Shocktober. <laughs> but for the most part, this isn't really his wheelhouse, so it's kind of weird that he he did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause Ken um, Russell, that would make way more sense. Do you guys like this movie more than altered States? Mm, well, no. I don't think so. I think I liked altered States more. Mm. I think altered States I mean, yeah. was more stylized and I think yeah. it had a better lead performance. And it, it also just like a, a more unique premise to like this, like cutting edge science mixed with, you know, tribal hallucinogens was, I think, a, a lot more memorable than just sh- sh- she's sexy and she turns into a cat. <laughs> wow, I have I have altered states four stars. Yeah, dude. Yeah, altered states was pretty cool. It is pretty right. cool. Um, it's just more ambitious, I think. If we can talk about the cast a little more, yeah, I have. Um, I was going to. I was going to before I we started talking about John Hurd. There's just one character in here that I noticed something really weird about, um, which is Frankie Faison plays yeah. a detective in this. He does, right? Um, he's a, he's an actor who I know from being in um, every season of The Wire. He plays Commissioner Burrell in The Wire. For people who who've seen that show, you'll remember that character. Mm-hmm. Um, for some, and he was in uh, he was in The Money Pit too. We watched that a little while ago. Oh hell yeah, he's making his way. Uh, Three Timers Club. And oh god, now I gotta look through his filmography. I'm looking through it too. Dude, if we watch Um, if we watch Chud, which also has John Hurd and Daniel Stern, it's connecting a lot of movies for us. It's also horrible. (laughs) I see a handful of movies. I could imagine uh, it could happen. Free Jack is a movie I'm very interested in, with starring Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger. Mm. Wow, it's it's gonna happen, Sean. Frankie flies on um, is destined for the three timers club. That's that's great for him. What's interesting is his voice sounds different in this movie. Yeah, and that is because Schrader made the choice to have a different actor, Albert Hall, come in and redub all of his lines. Yeah, I, I saw that too, but I don't, I don't know what? why. Hmm. Why? 
I can't understand. Because the thing is, Albert Hall does not have like a really different voice than Frankie <laughs> Faison. It's not like he, it's not like he sounds totally different. It's just like, oh, that's he sounds like not him. And uh, yeah. I I. Can't, I can't understand the choice. And when you look it up on IMDb, they're like, oh, we didn't like his voice, so we got a different actor to do his voice. It was like, what? <laughs> but you cast him. I wish I had an answer for you. It's one of the, I think for me, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a movie to just have one actor be dubbed for no reason. Yeah, because usually, like, if we're talking like Ed Wood. Like, they got Maurice LaMarche to dub over Vincent D'Onofrino because Vincent D'Onofrino didn't do a good Orson Welles. But it's not like, it's Frankie Faison doing a bad Detective Brandt. <laughs> Was only his audio in this movie fucked up? Maybe they didn't get along and this was like revenge and it's just not chronicled. It's, yeah, it's so weird. Because, I, I, you know, I haven't, even though I've been watching all these uh, Paul Schrader movies, I'm not really like, I haven't really read that much about what he's like, but I, every time I hear a quote from him, he sounds like an aggressive guy. Yeah. So I'm going to guess he's a guy who has enemies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I could, I was, I wanted to know if this movie like went smoothly. I don't I don't know. I know Natasha Kinski isn't super proud of this movie, which I feel bad about. Cause I do think she's good. Um, she doesn't think her performance is great, uh, but I I like her in it. I, I, the only thing about her performance I didn't like is sometimes she has one accent and then sometimes she has a different accent. I wonder if it's it's like a Princess Leia thing where like it's I wonder if early on she was trying to do an accent and then later on she just gave up on it. I guess they don't really establish because in the original movie the uh, you know Simone Simon or Simone Simone or I can't remember her name. Do you remember her name, Colin? The, the, the lead of the original mm. cat people uses her foreign accent, and it's, you know, it's accepted that she's from another country. But I guess because Malcolm McDowell is British and Natasha Kinski is German, they're like, let's kind of just make... I, well, it's not even like they make her British, so I'm not really sure what they're going for. Yeah. Well, I know, of course, to me, it's, like, really funny for Malcolm McDowell. Like, Welcome to New Orleans! <laughs> Welcome to the audience. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, another one of those actors who I don't feel like I've ever heard do an American accent. I gotta put a list together of actors who just won't do accents. Because I've, I've been noticing more and more as, as we do this show. Like, you know, Stallone never does any voice but his own. Sean Connery never does any voice but his own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just interesting. Um, we also got, uh, I'll, I'll shout out a couple of other people in this movie. You got Ed Bagley Jr., who I've noticed is in a lot of Schrader movies, always in a small part. He's one of the animal. Great I, part in this one. Yeah. You know, what's, what's, what's weird is like, they're, they're like animal control, but then they also work directly with the zoo. Is that a thing? It's it's such a sad zoo. They have these big animals in these tiny places. I was cells. I was so sad when I saw the zoo that I was like, please let's not. I hope this is not what it's actually like. Uh, yeah. And thankfully, I looked it up, and this was a set. This wasn't an actual <laughs> zoo. Because if so, it is the most depressing. It's, it's so <laughs> animals evil. are in such small habitats. I mean, it looks good on camera, but it's super depressing. 
So no, it was not. That's not an actual zoo in New Orleans. Um, you also got Annette O'Toole, who I really only know uh, from. The, I probably know her from a few things, but I mostly know her from the '90s version of It. Um, she's cute, and she, they make her get naked. Um, but I like in her. one of the weirdest, <laughs> one of the weirdest things for her to be naked, right? Where she's like on edge because she's she, she's on she's edge, stalked. and then decides to get naked, and then get, and swim <laughs> in a pool. Uh, it's it's kind of like the the thought process of like when a kid's scared and they put the covers over their head, but like almost even w- more da- more vulnerable, more dangerous. Like I'm gonna just yeah. jump in this pool where I'm I'm surrounded by whatever comes in here and I'm naked. Uh oh, we also got Ruby Ruby D who is cre- uh, credited as female, but which I'm no, now f- reading is Famale. Famale. Yeah, that was her name. I don't get why why is it written as female but it's pronounced famali i well because they i think they were like we have to have because we did this opening scene in like a primitive civilization we we have to have like a mystical character in this that is still connected to their like like the 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 people that worship these cat people yeah because because she's like she's like the housekeeper for malcolm mcdowell and sounds like she does her own work to like help him cover up his crimes right um but then she is arrested and disappeared from the rest of the movie yeah so i don't know what like famali should have been a bigger part of this for sure it's weird it's really weird yeah it seems like they're gonna kind of set her up as the keeper of the lore uh but then yeah like like you said they kind of kind of disappears from the movie it's it's the only time in movie history where a character is a villainous character is arrested and then like that that does the job she's out she's not a threat anymore she's in jail and gone yeah pretty much um what'd you guys think of that prologue that weird prologue set in some random lands i was kind of i i didn't mind it i was i was actually kind of hoping there'd be more stuff like that that was the stuff where i was like this is ken russell energy yeah uh, it, well, really. and so like it's so mysterious because you see, um, one person's tied to a tree and the big cat eats them, and then another person is like brought to the cat and it doesn't eat them. And she's like, "Ooh, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things going on with this cat." And uh, and then it's revealed like, no, that's 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 pretty much it. I guess the implication is that that the second girl was that cat's sister i think so because incest is a <laughs> i don't know so is this like a thing in the the big cat family that i don't know about where <laughs> i don't think so right we're like so, where's where what's the origin of this they gotta be incestuous so i was looking for this and what they said was that they had experienced a curse their family yeah that meant that they were always horny, but when they had sex, it turned them into a cat. Right. And that was the whole of the curse. And I think these guys are just so fucked up is they figured out there's a loophole, <laughs> which is they can still have sex as long as it's with each other. And that won't turn them into cats. Um, that'll that'll break the curse instead, and then they can have kids who can they can pass the curse on to. 
it's it's kind of disappointing when like i don't mind like a good like erotic movie sure i'm down but then when you because i mean it's called cat people an erotic fantasy but then when you see like oh but the eroticism is going to be between, between siblings you're like oh oh no why why did you call it an erotic <laughs> fantasy this isn't but my it's, fantasy it's, but but it's not really right like it, like that's so malcolm mcdowell wants to do some incest, he does but but she does not that's and true she has no interest in doing that's it. true Still, even the suggestion in those scenes. I mean, I, I I like Malcolm McDowell in this. I like that he's a creep. It's just yeah. Well, I, I wasn't expecting yeah, so the, the incest thing. It's just it's it's two horror movie elements. It's the horrific reveal that your parents were siblings. That's scary. Uh, although it's dulled by the fact that they're orphans and like they don't really know their parents. And and then also the the nightmare of your brother is trying to rape you, which is like like that's pretty scary, especially when your brother's Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Um. So that like that worked for me as a horror movie thing. Um. I just think the movie needed to be sexier. I don't know. None of those yeah. John Hurd yeah. scenes ever feel sexy. Not like it's specifically his fault. I just don't feel like they're no. Shot it is. It. It's you his think it's fault. just. <laughs> Okay, man, we're going hard on John Hurd. I mean, he's just he's just wrong for the part. Like, I think John Hurd, I think, I mean, the roles that I I know him for, I, I know him for, I know him for Home Alone, uh, the bad guy in Big, and I guess like Sopranos, where he's he's just like a creep yeah, in all of these. God. He has like, you know, how some people have like resting like bitch face, or like I would say I, I have resting sad face. He's got like resting like adulterer face, or like resting <laughs> just. Mean guy. I don't even know, but there's just something about the vibe he has all the time. He's just so not charming. <laughs> like, yeah. the the movie has a moment where uh, Nastasha Kinski has escaped New Orleans. She's on a train leaving town. Yeah, not coming back. And we have to believe that her horniness for John Hurd is enough to bring her back into this terrible situation where like she'll be facing off against her murderous incestuous brother. Yeah. And it's all worth it because John Hurd is there. And I, and and when you watch the movie you're going to be like well, this is a baffling decision she's making. I have no idea why she would choose to go back because it just doesn't work. You just don't and and also he's in a love triangle with Annette O'Toole, and it's like really why? Why do either of them like him? You mean? Yeah. Why does anyone <laughs> like him? John Larroquette <laughs> is also in this town. Why isn't there a love triangle with John Larroquette? Did we watch something else with John Larroquette? I feel like he's come up before, despite the fact that John Larroquette hasn't really had much of a movie career. He's really more of a TV guy. Yeah, feels possible. He just, he's always oh, he's, he's also in altered states. <laughs> but he's like he's As, like X-ray technician or something. He's X-ray right? technician. Yeah, uh, that's his role. At least he has like a part. So he's got. We got a lot of people that are creeping into our our little three timers club. <laughs> yeah, on this episode. Um, sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot he was in this. Also, Ray, he's in one scene. He's in one scene. I, 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 he seems like he's going to be important, but he's just in that one scene. Yeah, he's in that one scene. Um. Well, you know, one thing I do again. I remember I watched it a couple weeks ago. It's like recalling a dream. Um. <laughs> but this movie is like a dream. No, remember? Actually, this isn't a dream. This is a nightmare. As Paul Schrader said, 
It's like remembering a nightmare. I feel like some of the the cat attack scenes were kind of cool, right? I, I I think. Um, I like the one where uh, it's locked in the in the uh, the brothel and the or I guess it's just it's just a hotel room, the hotel room, and and the guys are trying to get it out. And it attacks a lady, and mm-hmm. I feel like those set pieces aren't bad, right? Yeah, I mean a lot of be- beyond the like the concepts being scary like i said like all the incest stuff is spooky yeah this movie is a horror movie because it believes that you are genuinely afraid of seeing real life big cats kind of um which i mean it's it's not fair because in real life yes i would be very afraid if this big cat was near me in any way but on screen I'm just not scared. Mm. I'm just like, oh, it's a big pussy. <laughs> it, it, it's, yeah. It's kind of like whenever... They are... Yeah, go ahead, Colin. Well, the, yeah, they are very slender. But I mean, the, when the cats attack in this movie, it's pretty brutal. We do see <laughs> rip a guy's arm off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he bleeds to death and dies, which yeah. is, I appreciated. Like, they do a decent job of making them scary, even though, like, visually, yeah... They're maybe not the most scary, like, screen monsters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I compare it to any time I see a werewolf movie and the werewolf looks too much like a wolf, and I'm like, ah, oh, I've seen those before. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if this movie would be better if there were cats. We do get to see Malcolm McDowell get a little cat-like. Yeah. It's kind of oh, cool. Shit. There's not some I... there's some cool makeup with some of the yeah. with some of the, the weird skin stuff. Um, I hated when he ripped that extra bit of skin off his belly and ate he it. He ate it, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's also a part where, like, um, there's like he's uh, he's died, Malcolm McDowell, and they're like looking at his body, and there's like green gas coming out. Oh, yeah, was, I'm looking yeah. it up. I'm looking it up now. And they, 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 they do like a surgical cut and then like a human arm comes out of the uh, yeah. out of the, the, the cat part and then that it just turns into scene. slime. That <laughs> autopsy. Although I was confused how Malcolm McDowell came back from that. That's a good point. There's some, maybe it's like a werewolf. There's like only so many ways you can kill one. But again, not explored. I'm sure Famali would have explained this had she stayed in the movie. <laughs> Also, is it, I swear there's a part... They say you have to have sex with uh, you, just, I guess, just not your sibling to turn into a cat people. But I swear he turns into one later just... We don't see how he does it. So we just assume he can just do it. Um, I mean, maybe he had a... He, he got, he, what, what if you, like, jerk off? Does that count? Like, did he just <laughs> bust it out real I mean, quick and turn into a cat people? This this is this is like a um, a real, like, you don't feed gremlins after midnight yeah. thing when you think about it. Yeah. Because to transform into into a cat, you have to have sex. Yeah. Like we're saying, there's, there's some vagueness there and what that means. Also, to, like, transform back, you have to kill someone. And there's, like, some vagueness there, too, because, like, we saw that Malcolm McDowell ripped off... Ed Bailey Jr.'s arm, and then, like, later turn back into a human. Yeah. So it's like, you can inflict a mortal wound, and that also transforms you. It's not like you have to eat a person. It's it's a little... It's a little confusing to me, like, what necessarily counts as a kill, I guess. Um, what counts as a kill, and what counts as sex? Yeah. <laughs> Both two really good questions. 
Lawyers have made a whole living off of answering those two questions. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It falls apart in a couple spots. Um, I Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Is that Alan Ormsby's fault? Is there more stuff that they shot that's not in this movie? I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, I said Schrader rewrote a bunch of this. It's on Schrader, yeah. man. Yeah, that's it's it's like we were saying earlier. If there was more Famali in this, if there was more um, explanation of what that primitive civilization was, and and what this curse has done throughout history, like I wanted there to be a reveal that there's a secret cat society. Yeah. <laughs> um. Instead, it sounds like it's just been through history, like one cat people family. Um on the down low, which I don't know how they were able to do that as well. Uh, yeah, pretty much. That's, you know, I feel like this is the problem sometimes with, with remakes like this, where like the original is a very tidy, uh, picture. Everything kind of fits together kind of perfectly. I mean, it's basically just a werewolf picture, but if, if it was a cat and then they just, (laughs) everything they add to this kind of feels unnecessary or it just, I don't know. Not fully thought out. Like they're 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 getting they're close to getting to something interesting, and trying to take it in any direction. But it just feels like unnecessary add-ons. Uh, but you know, I appreciate them giving it a go, trying to turn that original movie into an erotic fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> is an interesting. You know, it's it's different. So I'll give them credit for that, and that it's not just a shot for shot same thing, but. It kind of just makes the original seem even like so much stronger that it doesn't need all that stuff. Um, since it's so much of a part of this, yeah, like that that the the issue is that these are cat people and they're in heat. Um, I've never had a pet that was able to be in heat because we've always had our pets spayed or neutered. Right? Have, have either of you ever had an experience with? With a pet that's been in heat, and what's that like? Uh, they just they just make a lot of weird noises. <laughs> yeah, because we had a cat that you know, that, a feral cat that did have kittens. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, I, and that's 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 really my recollection of it. It's just like a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> it's like shut <laughs> up. Not nothing weird. Not, not any other weird behavioral stuff. Just fucking weird noises, and you just let it out. So I, I assume it's doing all the weird shit when it's out there. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. Good that would have been good though in this movie if Malcolm McDowell just like ooh, <laughs> like all the time because they're just so horny. Because there is that one scene where he goes to the prostitute and it's implied that he does this all the time and he's like kind of sad about it because he yeah. knows he's gonna kill her yeah yeah but he's i guess he's just like that horny he's got to do it um you know i was trying i can't remember if they say this what is natasha kinski Irina, doing before this movie she's living in canada and she comes to visit her brother in new orleans they were orphaned after their parents died their acrobat parents yeah but what was she like doing? robin she like Robin, basically. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know. She just shows up. I, I, I feel like I wanted to know a little bit more about what has she been doing this whole time. We kind of got a sense of what he's doing. Yeah. What was her life gonna like? Did she go to college or something? I feel like they said she she had some schooling, 
Because she gets to New Orleans and she's like, I guess I'll get a job working at the gift shop at the zoo. Did she have urges of turning into a cat people before she came to New Orleans? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like he kind of, yeah, unleashes that by, you know, just being around him. Yeah. Because, like, I guess, like, oh, it's my sibling. Oh, man, I'm feeling horny. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a cat people. Uh... Man, kind of a, a downer ending to this, too. Is it? Well, I guess, I mean, not to her. It feels like it is, where, you know, after they've killed uh, Malcolm McDowell, and then she can't control mm-hmm. herself, so she's like, hey, John Hurd, because you're so hot, too. <laughs> Everyone loves you. <laughs> can you yeah. uh, have sex with me, and then I can just stay a cat, because I feel more like more comfortable as that. I mean, it's what she wants. She tells, she tells him to do it. Uh, but just the fact that she's not like free—that she's living in the most depressing. Oh yeah, I guess that's part of it. Zoo of all zoo time. Ever. Yeah, she's living in an animal prison, and it has that bizarre last uh, shot where the music—it freeze frames <gasps> music cues. <laughs> It's like that for like a while, almost not a minute, maybe like thirty seconds, and then unfreezes. Yeah, like uh, I I brought up the freeze frame, and then on my letterbox, Sean, and then you in the comments brought up how it unfreezes. Yeah, I've never seen that. <laughs> never seen that before. either. It's a usually it's a- freeze frame fade to black. Not f- why freeze frame if we're not gonna freeze frame. Credits roll over the picture. Mm-hmm. You know. And then, like, I've got one more scare in this. <laughs> I wonder but if, it's, like, it's... it's just working with an animal actor, and it's like, I wanted to do this. Th- it didn't hold this long enough. <laughs> or maybe it's the other way around, where um, they're like, please, Giorgio Moroder, we need to get to the with gasoline part of the song faster. And he's mm. like, no, I will not compromise. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's also really difficult to work with. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone here is difficult. Except for Malcolm McDowell. He sounds like he's a f- pretty fun guy. He's a good sport. He'll sign <laughs> your giant dick He'll painting for giant you. Giant dick, and then like kind of smirk at me like, eh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this at this point in time. He had done like Clockwork Orange is like ten years ago. He yeah. he had just done mm-hmm. fucking Caligula, right? Like this is he is at his peak sexiness. He's up for it. He's game. Um, maybe not peak, right? Well, when was when was Caligula? <laughs> oh, you're right. It was seventy nine. It was really close. Yeah, never mind. I I thought it was mid seventies. Um, he's got kind of you know. It's funny. I'm looking at his career. I guess he did have one hero role time after time. Uh, which is where he met Mary Steenburgen, who they were married for ten years. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, this is a sexy period. This is a sexy period. Um, sorry, I'm just looking. At, I forgot he's in Mr. Magoo. I assume it's the bad guy. Um, <laughs> wow, bizarre. Uh, yeah. All right. It was also fun reading about um, everyone. Uh, like being offered this movie because Malcolm McDowell was like, "Isn't the original bad or something?" He hadn't even seen it, but he's just like, eh, "It's like bad, right?" He's like, "No, no, you're gonna have fun." He's like, "Oh, okay." And then for and John heard when they asked him to do it, he thought it was like a porn film. 
<laughs> I guess no one had seen the original. What RKO really fucked up, or something, or it just it disappeared from the public consciousness because nobody knew what the fuck this was when they were offered it. Um, and I don't really. Obviously, Natasha can see is kind of mixed on it. I see Malcolm McDowell. I you could he probably had a still of this when I went to go see him at that convention. He had a still from everything he's ever done. <laughs> I, I probably could have been like, love cat people. And he'd be like, oh, yes, me too. Even if he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he has that vibe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that Paul – I think I read that Paul. it said Paul Schrader took a long break after this. But let me actually see how long that break – I feel like – I feel like that's not true. I mean, well, I mean, I guess he, he was still – he still had stuff coming out that he'd written. No, it's a three-year break. Mm. Not that long. Three years after this, is, and then he finally then he did Mishima, and, and then he was back to like pretty. He's pumping them out again, scripts and movies. Like he directed pretty, pretty frequently. Um, but yeah, so I guess it was stressful for him. I hope he likes it. Okay, I, I, it's fine. It's it's it, it looks good. I like how they shot New Orleans. It's kind of got a weird. There's like not a lot of extras in this movie. There's a lot of just like mm-hmm. shots where it kind of looks like a ghost town. Which is just weird because you think of New Orleans as being like this very like happening, vibrant place, but here it's like a, an abandoned city with the with the fucking worst zoo I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love the part when she gets in a taxi and the and she's like, "Take me to the zoo," because she's drawn to animals. And the taxi driver's like, "Uh, no, I'll I'll take you to the French Quarter where you can actually have." Oh fun. yeah, she's like, "No, no, we're not going to the zoo." <laughs> she does sex. Yeah, that was good. So, yeah, well made. I think it just needs to be weirder, which is a weird thing to suggest, but I, I just feel like it does. Maybe more like... Uh, maybe it's just more cat monster stuff. I don't yeah, know. Like, I, like I, I was saying, I think Paul Schrader is just too grounded to do this movie. You need someone who's a little more outside the box, at least for this kind of story. Like, a little, just more of a genre guy. It's really weird that he made this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I can't emphasize enough how weird it is that there's just, like, the reveal of a murder dungeon. And Famali gets arrested. And Malcolm McDowell goes on the run. And, like... It doesn't get weirder than that. If anything, it gets more normal from that point. It yeah. just feels wrong for this type of movie to have the weirdness peak in the middle yeah. instead of the end. No, it doesn't escalate in the way you want it to. It's a movie that you want to build and get crazier and crazier, and it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, just need to be weirder. That's all. You know, it's funny. Uh, watching this, I was like, you know what I should have picked? And I don't know. Maybe this is not a great movie. But I, I guess I should think of David Bowie. I should have picked The Hunger. We should watch The Hunger at some point with David Bowie. The mm-hmm. vampire movie from 83. Maybe that's Maybe. the more essential. I was trying to think. If I made a, like a list of the top 100 essential 80s horror movies, would cat people be in it? I think it'd be in the 100. I don't know if it would make the 50, though. I don't think it would. So, uh, but I mean, I, then again, maybe that kind of fits what this podcast is. <laughs> like, stuff that's kind of forgotten. But I feel like usually we cover stuff that was like maybe popular for a little bit and then forgotten, but I don't know that this ever was. <laughs> um, got, so, got some Golden yeah. Globe noms, though. 
The hunger is Tony Scott. Yeah. Tony Scott also made Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Top Gun had a bunch of songs that are by Giorgio Moroni. Oh. So this is a good connection. We should we should embrace. Well, there, this. we've been talking about a lot of movies that have like uh, I mentioned Chud earlier and how it's got John Hurd and Frankie Fies on and then apparently also Daniel Stern who was in Blue Thunder it's like it's all it's all fucking oh connected oh my god <laughs> it's all connected I mean I guess I guess if you wa- talk about a lot of movies from the same period of time there's gonna be some crossover <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just kind of what we do yeah so that's Cat People yeah it didn't have a whole lot to say because it's like a dream or a nightmare that I'm trying to recall. I I had um, one goof that I thought was interesting. Oh, yes. Which yeah, was please. That, um, you know how the MGM lion, that roar is a tiger roar? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. Well, let, let me keep fucking with cat sounds. Um, so the MGM lion has a tiger roar. In this movie... They had panthers, which was meant to be leopards, but were actually played by cougars that were painted black. Right. <laughs> Those panthers, that were actually cougars, were making roar sounds that were recorded from a lion. <laughs> wow. And you consider this a goof? IMDb does. <laughs> I mean that's fascinating that's, but it's not like they did it on accident you got me the wrong noise everyone's gonna hate it that's uh, I mean that's that's great that's fascinating I love that um, and there is no uh, villains wiki page for Malcolm McDowell Paul Gallier he does have a page on monsters and slashers dot fandom but <laughs> And it is like a similar kind of site, but he doesn't have like any stats. He just has abilities, and it's cat-like abilities. Hell yes! Like his ability to jump up on uh, the the railing on that uh, thing. Yeah, <laughs> fire escape. I know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, fire escape is what the. I mean, we is. don't. Yeah, we don't have fire escapes. We don't escape I've fires seen. here. We, don't, we, just, we die. We just accept it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, maybe I should make a Paul Gallier uh, Villains Wiki page now that I have access. Or maybe I should get access to Monsters and Slashers. <laughs> fandom. Because he's the villain for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. I, we'll see. I'd have to build that thing from the fucking ground up. I'm not sure I'm ready for that yet. Right. But I am ready for the next pick. The next one. I wasn't sure how many more we were gonna do before we go on a little, little vacay, but um, I'm 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 happy to do another. One. I'm excited. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's gonna get a little tricky because we're doing a lot of Shocktober movies. And, uh, well, you know, maybe this we're watching we'll see. movies, we'll... writing about movies. Yeah. But the one I I mean, my next pick is a Shocktober oriented movie uh it's one i feel like we've talked about reviewing before we've been dancing around it yeah it seems like the right time to do it after cat people um i'm picking 1994's wolf starring Uh, jack nicholson i'm excited (laughs) another uh movie directed 
by like a weird choice for a horror movie, <laughs> Mike Nichols. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's one that I was worried might just be kind of bad, but it's it's got a Rotten Tomato score of sixty two percent. That's like our sweet spot. That's like what. Uh, yeah, that's like what cat people got. <laughs> yeah, we just want something that's barely fresh because that means, well, there's probably something interesting there. <laughs> I am loving the vibe of this season of the pick, of the pick, particularly being like all movies that I give a three star review to. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's we'll see if we can keep up the streak of like oh, three star movies every episode because <laughs> this uh, definitely feels like it could be it could be <laughs> that stratosphere it's definitely got the advantage though of every screenshot i've seen of jack nicholson in this movie is hilarious yeah it looks like wolverine it looks fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's up to some some crazy shenanigans i'm also really excited to get another ron rifkin in ron rifkin from boiler room as the the, the disappointed uh, yeah. dad yeah he was he was good in that this has an, an awesome cast oh yeah um, well, I'm glad you picked this. I was 100% going to pick this next year for the anniversary. <laughs> so honestly, it's just yeah. like, hey, we're just getting to it early. So I, li- I love it. Yeah. Sure. Well, it also feels like it completes the like 90s Universal <laughs> Monsters trilogy with Bram Stoker's Dracula and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Nichols' Wolf. Yep. <laughs> I think the Wolfman's based on a book. Yeah, all I really know about right. this movie, I think there is a there is a a, a text. Yeah, I don't know if it's called the okay. Wolf. Yeah, there is. Uh, I believe that, that where a lot of this stuff comes from. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. I'm not sure, but all I know about this isn't there like a scene where he like uh, pisses on somebody, Marcus territory. I, I, and then I feel like there's a lot of slow motion when he turns into, I haven't seen this movie, but there's just things I've heard. A lot of slow motion when he turns into wolf. (laughs) And, uh, he, he's like, what works for publishing, which is, I hope so. Cause that's like the most nineties shit ever. I, you know, I watched the game. We watched the game recently. Uh, I forgot that Michael Douglas was like the CEO of like a publishing company. <laughs> like he, he's like remember he's like yeah. beyond rich in this movie, <laughs> and like really his family empire is book publishing. <laughs> it's just not something that sounds that lucrative today. It's bizarre mm-hmm. to watch that it's such a thing in the nineties. I'm excited to see all the nineties shit in here. I um, wonder if the nineties were just uniquely a time where they're like, don't go to the library, buy books. <laughs> And then, it, like, it all took a turn with ebooks after that. But yeah, there was Barnes and Nobles, yeah, yeah, Borders. Yeah, there was just like this instant boom of like, look, we know that there are libraries. Stop going, buy books. Buy this books. business will last forever. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, publisher Will Randall becomes a demon wolf and has to fight to keep. Will his job. Randall, like William Randall Hearst, <laughs> probably must be a not well, so subtle reference. William Randolph. Randolph, you're right, Randolph. It is. It, it is close. maybe close, maybe but it's wrong. Intentional. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a Citizen Kane thing. No, but maybe it is. 
We'll find you'll find find out. You know, check check us out. Check us out wherever you you can find your podcast, or go to mildlypleased.com. Um, don't have an outro, so I'll just uh, with gasoline. Perfect. Yeah, wouldn't